a special day. It's Mission Sunday. And I took um, several people on a mission trip just a few weeks ago. And you guys prayed for us. Now, one of you prayed for us. And you came and told me last week that you picked four people to pray for. And two of us got caught in Chicago and didn't get to make the trip. And two of us got caught in Senegal. Feel free to not pray for us anymore, okay? (laughs) We finally made it back. But actually, thank you for praying for us. Even though all four of us had uh, the school of hard knocks, we learned some things. But in God's sovereignty, he had purpose and plan in all of that. So thankful for all of your prayers. But I took a, a little guy, was on, a younger guy, was on my team this last week and uh, two weeks ago, whenever we went. And he actually uh, is a Rubik's Cube guy. Has anybody ever solved a Rubik's Cube? How many of you have tried a Rubik's Cube? How many of you have solved a Rubik's Cube? Okay. Well, he took this to the village and he used it as a way to get to know people and to share Jesus. Noah, why don't you come on up? I thought we could just kind of start things off a little different today and have a little contest just to get everybody's blood pumping and uh, you, you think you can beat me? Okay. I don't, I don't know. How tall are you? What do you think? About getting close to five foot. What's, what's he weigh, mom? About 70 pounds, okay? Well, I'm 6'1 and 200 and... Tell you what, we'll just call it a flat two. And um, how old are you, Noah? 10, I'm 45. Uh, You got a bachelor's degree or anything? No, master's degree? I got this. This is no problem. All right. How many of you think I can beat Noah? How many of you kids connection kids? You think I can beat Noah? How many of you think Noah can beat me? Oh, the whole room. Okay. All right, here we go. Ready? Get set, go. All right, here we go. We need some, like, music. I don't know. Dun, 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 dun. Eye of the tiger. All right. You know, I hadn't tried one of these since I was, like, 10, but on the mission trip, I sat down, and I thought, you know, I, there's been a lot of water, water under the bridge since then, and I, I think I can get it. Um, and I'm feeling lucky today. I'll tell you what. Tell you what, it's not going so good though right now. That's, what are you doing over here? I don't know if I can. I got a lot of history here. I can do this. This ain't no big deal. Uh, I. I don't know. Can I get like some clapping or something for me? I, are you done? Good job, Noah. Get out of here. <laughs> Great job. Noah came to me one morning, and this is really cool because mission is for everybody in the church that's born again. Noah's been born again. His dad took him on mission. He came with us. Noah came to me one morning. I thought it was real profound. And he says to me, you know what, Pastor Martin, he he said, I had this thought last night. He said, our lives are a lot like a Rubik's Cube. He said, they're all messed up. And there's only one solution. And Jesus is a solution. I thought, wow, that was profound. And Noah would use this in the community along with the rest of our team And he would share Jesus, the love of Christ. And we saw people, listen, after 10 years of doing work in Senegal, we saw four people finally come to faith in the gospel. Amen? So we are certainly grateful for that. 
The gospel is exactly what the world needs. It's the remedy to the problem. It's the solution. It's the antidote. And Noah went right into that community. He got involved. And by God's grace, we saw people get saved. There was one of our, one of our drivers that was there. His name was El Haj. And El Haj was probably around 50 years old. And we were in a room together. And Noah got to see this. I thought it was really cool for a young guy to be in the room and see something like this happen. And Gabby was playing Death Was Arrested one morning. And the whole team's just singing to the Lord. And El Haj is in there. He's been a Muslim his entire life. Muslim, it's in, his, it's in his bones, it's in his culture. And he's hearing this, and he can understand parts and pieces. He has broken English. But at the end of it, he said, That's, this is amazing, this is great. What, is, what are you saying? And so we began to share what the words were to death was arrested. And we shared the gospel. And in that moment, El Haj said, I want that. I want that in my life. I need that. And gave his life to Jesus right then and there. Many think that short-term missions are a waste of money because it does cost a lot for a church to be involved in missions, not just locally, but especially abroad. If you've ever seen what it costs to, you know, to buy plane tickets to go over and do those kind of things. But in the end, it's worth it. And Jesus has called us to go to the nations. Whenever I was over in Senegal this last time, one of our cluster leaders for the IMB, he, he shared with me this statistic that I had no idea about. He said that, of over our 5,000 missionaries that the International Mission Board mobilizes and puts into the field, 80% of them first felt called to full-time missions on a short-term trip. Is it worth it? It's worth it. It's worth it not just to get the gospel to those people in the field, but it's also worth it because in our hearts, and I believe in this church right here, There are young people who will be called, they'll be a part of that 80%, who will feel called to missions while they're on short-term trips with us here at Canaan. So praise God. And thank you, because when you give money to that GCO, our Great Commission offering, part of that money helps us to mobilize to go to these places. So praise God for that. Today we're going to look at Matthew, the 25th chapter. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 25. In this chapter, Jesus has just talked a lot about the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, and there's also some end times kind of language in there of his second advent. Not exactly sure. It's a really tough passage of scripture. But in Matthew 25, Jesus rolls into three parables. The parable of the ten virgins, the talents, and the sheep and the goats. And I want to concentrate today on the parable of the talents. These three parables stress the same main idea for us today, and that's our big thought for today. And here it is. Jesus' return is imminent. Will you and I be found ready, a faithful steward at his coming? Will we be found ready? Now, when I say imminent, it means that word means overhanging, about to happen when you least expect it. Now, I know there's lots of people in the world that need to still be reached to the gospel. We know of languages that haven't been reached yet. And we, are, we partner with School to the Nations that tries to get out to millions of different people. This hope film that will share from Genesis to the maps the whole story of God. But as we see things get worse and worse in the world, we also are seeing an increase in technology, an increase in mobilization, and an increase in the nations beginning to believe And so who knows how long it's going to be before Christ comes back at his second advent. And Matthew 25 is all about telling us to prepare and to be ready. 
As a part of Vision 2025, we've created some goals to help us to be faithful in working the harvest fields and being a church on mission. Here are just a few related to mission. Let's go ahead and look at those. The first one is bringing the gospel to every home in the 63129, 63128, and 63110, 63010 zip codes. That's number one. Number two, increasing our St. Louis membership to 2,000. That's right here at Oak, our Oakville campus by having 7,700 gospel conversations over the next five years or 25 per week as a church body. That's not very many for us as a church body. We expect to really exceed that goal. We're keeping track of that, by the way, on our app. If you have our app, you can open that and track every gospel conversation that you have. And then number three, here's a big one, sending at least 250 members on cross-cultural missions annually. Now, that doesn't have to just be abroad in Mexico, Zambia, Senegal, some of our partners over there. It could also be in Fairmont City, where the Hispanic population is 82% of that city just 30 minutes away. Or maybe it could be doing missions with our Nepali friends just right up here in South City, 10 minutes ahead, or 10 minutes north of us, or maybe 20 minutes north at our Congolese church and helping them reach their community for Jesus, or helping our international friends and partners plant internationally within our city. There's all kinds of things that would wrap up in 250 of us on cross-cultural missions. But for us to be able to do this as a church, each one of us have to be all in for Jesus. We got to be all in. Amen? Not long ago, whenever I was uh, in Senegal, I heard this really cool story before we get into our text. I was sitting next to Boss and I was sitting next to Camo, two of our missionaries in the field in West Africa, and they told me this story about this village that they had recently been in. And the Fulani are kind of neat people. Uh, They're tribal people, they're a little bit nomadic, and they're shepherds, and they take care of animals, they're agriculture people, people, and they have a deep love for one another. So even if you've never met another Fulani and you're Fulani, and I've seen this happen before, and they stumble across somebody that's speaking Pular, or they can just tell that they're Fulani, they begin conversation and begin to talk. So they have a natural in with their own people. But Kamo and Boss, who are Fulani, went out to this unreached place, this group of people way out uh, in the bush to reach them with the gospel. And as soon as they got there, they were welcomed in. They speak the language. They sit down and drink the tea, the attire. They talk about what it's like to raise animals. And eventually, Boss and Camo get around to the gospel with this group of people. And they take their time and share Jesus and the love of God and the cross and what Christ did. And they talk about the differences between Christianity and Islam. They stayed there for a whole week with these people, just loving on them and sharing. And then they said, you know what? We're going to leave for a while and we're going to come back and just, you know, tell us what you think. Well, they left. And I want you to keep in mind something interesting. In Senegal and West Africa, only 0.4% of people are evangelical Christian. Less than half a percent are believers. They took the weekend and after that, they went back to the village. It was a little village called Daiban. And there, 12 people were ready to greet them and said, we believe the gospel that you're preaching to us. Now, these are missionaries that we enable to go and to share with these people. 12 people believed. When they were praising God, they were excited. They're like, hey, 
We have a house church. We have a new church right here. And now we've got to begin the process of discipling them. Well, the people there said, listen, we want to be baptized. You explained to us that after we become a Christian, we need to be obedient with baptism. We're all ready. There was only one problem. It was the dry season. There was no rain. There was no rivers. There was nothing there uh, for them to be baptized in. And Boss said, listen, it's okay. Your salvation's not dependent on that. You've trusted in Christ, but we understand your obedience to want to be baptized, and we're coming back. As soon as the rainy season gets here, we're going to do it. And they said, no, we want to be baptized today. Jesus said to do it. We want to do it right now. And Boss said, listen, all we got is like goat's milk, and like there's nowhere for you to be baptized, Right? And they said, we have the well over there. Tie ropes around us and lower us down into the well. And boss was like, who's going down there with you? But when he saw that faith, he said, I can't let these people down. So they tied ropes around these people's waist and one by one, all 12 of them got lowered down into the well to be baptized. When we say yes to Jesus, when we take those faith steps and we know it's about the obedience of Christ, we have to say, lower me down into the well. Missions Day is about that. It's a chance for you to get involved when you haven't been involved, to to quit making excuses. And if you're on the sidelines, to get in the game. Today's the day for you to get involved. So be challenged by God's word. Matthew 25, if you would stand up, we're going to begin by reading verses 14 through 30. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went out and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and I gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him 
and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the challenge in your word. To be about your business. To be about kingdom business. Lord, you know there are necessary things that we have to be involved in in this life and we have jobs and children and all kinds of things to keep us busy. But Lord, let every moment kind of have that foundation, that saturation of the gospel is supreme in all areas of my life. Fill us with that in our thoughts, in our hearts, in our mind, that the gospel should be interjected into all areas of life. There is no sacred and secular Um, You've called us uh, to love you with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. Everything should be sacred. So use this church, use each man and woman in their ability, use their talents, their giftedness, their money. Help each one of us to leverage it for your kingdom so that when you arrive back, Lord, you'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Be with us today, speak through your word, convict our hearts, in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So years ago, I heard uh, from a professor of mine, Dr. Alan Tomlinson, he said, what do we do when we come to the parables? He said, each parable kind of has one thing in common um, for each person who reads or is a listener. And here's a really good thing that each one of us can benefit from when we come to the parables, is this basic understanding of... Um, each person that's mentioned in the parable, I should just wear each pair of those shoes so that I can figure out, as I read it, which person am I in Jesus' story. And so this morning, we're going to kind of wear each person's shoes, and and you're going to have to ask yourself a little self-evaluation to be thinking to yourself, Holy Spirit, if, if, if I've not been in the game, if, I've, if I'm this guy with one talent, you convict me, you urge me, and then show me the on-ramps, Lord, to be busy about your kingdom right where I'm at and be involved in ministry. And maybe some of us are, are like the two or the five, and, we, and, and, and you may want to just keep on keeping on. Ask God to show you the areas, though, that you need to tweak and even make better so that you can continue to charge the hill for Jesus. So wear everyone's shoes this morning. So you've got to ask yourself, which investor am I? Am I like the man who was entrusted with five talents and received a return? Am I like the man who entrusted the two, was entrusted with two and received a return? Or am I like the man who was entrusted with the one talent and received no return? So a 30,000 foot view of this parable is this. The man going on the journey represents Christ. The slaves left behind represent followers of Christ. And number three, the time that the slaves are left to invest their gifts is the time between his first and second coming. So for us in the room who are still breathing, it's right now. It's right now. Now, it's not later, it's today. What are we doing today for the kingdom of God if we are born again? Now, in the context of these parables, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven. 
In this particular context, the kingdom of heaven refers to everyone who professes to be his followers. Some are found to be true followers, and some in the parable are found to be false. With all of his servants or followers, the master entrusts property, and when the last day comes, it will be shown who was true and who was actually false. Matthew chapter 7 talks about, uh, you know, people who say, Lord, Lord, on that day, right? Um, and, And Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. There are certain people that will say, we cast out demons in your name. We preached in your name. We did healings in your name. We did all these things in your name. And he'll say, depart from me, lawless one. I never really even knew you. Living a life surrendered to God is serious business in the parables of Jesus. Read Luke's gospel. The moral responsibilities of his people coupled with social action, demonstrates their belief that the master will one day return from the far country to settle accounts with each one of us. Jesus is very concerned in the parables with our stewardship of God's generous gifts to his church, his beloved. So when we look at this parable and we break it down, we just have four points this morning. Number one is this, the master entrusts his property to his slaves, okay? Why don't you just say that with me? The master entrusts his property to his slaves. You ready? Go. The master entrusts his property to his slaves. That's you and I. We're his slaves, right? Paul said that unashamedly. Paul, slave of Christ Jesus, the Greek word doulos. He gives us his property. And the beginning of this parable, it begs a question. Will the master receive return on investment? Now, at first glance, a talent doesn't sound like much. I mean, five, two, and one. But a talent actually refers to a weight of measurement. It could have been a talent of copper. It could have been a talent of silver or gold. But actually, the weight of measurement was between 58 and 80 pounds. Okay? So it could have been any of those three items. Now, it seems to be costly in the context. So it could have been silver or gold. But I'll give you an example of what we think probably was going on, even with the guy with one talent. One talent of gold was worth 6,000 denarii or 20 years of wages for a laborer. Nobody got ripped off here. So the guy with two talents, 40 years of wages. The man with five, how many? Do the math. 100 years of wages for the man with five talents. No one got entrusted with anything insignificant in this context. And that's very important when we think about the talent with varied application, not just money. Here's what I mean. In Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and Ephesians 4, three places in the New Testament that talk about gifts that have been bestowed upon the church. If you're a believer of Jesus, you're a believer in him, you've been born again, you've been charged with the Holy Spirit. Hebrews chapter two, verse four says, the Holy Spirit makes no mistakes, but he gives each gift to each person according to his wisdom and all of you who are born again have spiritual gifts. First Corinthians chapter 12 makes it very clear that none of those gifts should be minimized, that all of those gifts are a big deal. And when we submit those gifts to the Lord, we're not that little pilot light, that little flicker or flame, we're a fire for Jesus. And so when we come to this, nobody got ripped off. No one was given an insignificant gift, but everybody was given a significant gift to use for Jesus. When we look at 
the first two people entrusted with talents in the story, we see no hesitation with them in putting what the master had entrusted them to work. The scriptures say, euthios, which means immediately. Immediately, they took their talents and put them to work. If you've not done that today, you need to do it immediately. The work being referred to here, uh, or the trading, refers to both of these servants doing kingdom business for Jesus. The scripture says here, immediately. When true conversion of the gospel happens, it is always radical. Don't make a mistake. It's always radical. Ephesians chapter 2 said it's dead men coming to life. Is that radical? (laughs) Right? That's what happens when somebody's born again. It's a radical experience. Think of somebody being shocked with those shockers that, you know, they've lost their pulse. It's a radical experience when somebody comes to faith in the gospel. And God calls us to radical obedience. The dead come to life. Immediately in these men, there were signs of life. The master said, here's what I've entrusted you with. And they went out and they put it to work for the kingdom of God. That's what he calls us to. In contrast to the first two slaves, the man who received one talent immediately went out and dug a hole and hid it. Number two, those found faithful by the master were entrusted with more of his property. Verses 16 through 23 tell us. Notice the investing here that's going on too. If you just look at it from a business standpoint, the first two guys weren't conservative at all. Everything that they were given, right? They went out and immediately put it into business. And the Greek here actually signifies that they didn't put it into the bank to earn interest. They actually went out and started small businesses and did things with that money to get busy with it. They interacted with other people. They put it to work. And they didn't do it conservatively. They went all out. I mean, think about the economy, right? Uh, What would have been normal, probably, if you're talking about money, would be, man, you're a huge risk taker if you bury three and put two to work, right? That's 40%. These guys went crazy. They took everything they had, all five, and they said, you know what? We're going to have that foundation I talked about earlier where everything that I do at some level is going to have gospel in it. My job, I realize the people I'm surrounded by in my cubicle need Jesus. My kids, they need to be discipled. They're not just there so I can raise them and give them a home that's warm to live in. And all. You know, I, I'm supposed to raise them. The relationships I have, the friendships I have, the, the family I have that are lost, each one of them, they need Jesus. So everything that these guys did, they invested in the kingdom work. So that when the master came back, he would say, well done. These guys are sketchy. Five and two, and they put it all in. They seem crazy. They lay it out there. They're zealots. They're definitely not business guys. Those found faithful by the master were entrusted, the scriptures tell us here, with more of his property. Look at verse 21 and 23. They say the exact same thing. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. And then he says this, enter into the joy of your master. Notice that 
There's two results to the faithfulness of these two servants, the man with five and the man with two. Number one is this, increased responsibility. If you've been faithful over a little, Jesus says this, I will set you over much. Now, remember here too, that the scene is apocalyptic. It's the end of the age. Jesus is settling accounts, okay? So things, it's over. Second advent, he's returned. You're standing on the Bama seat before him. And he says this first, you have increased responsibility. I'm gonna set you over much now, okay? And then number two is enter the joy of your master. And this actually hints to us, I think it actually makes it really clear that that whole image of little fat babies on clouds playing harps, that ain't what you're doing in the next life. There is a greater responsibility. Enter into the joy of your master. And he just said, I'll set you over much. There's gonna be things to do in heaven. Amen? Great things to do. If this is the settling of accounts on the last day, you will receive heavenly responsibilities. You can even see the progression of God growing responsibility of faithful believers over time in this life as well. Have you ever noticed that? Where God just kind of keeps opening doors and uh, if, you, if you're faithful with little, how many of you have ever seen that principle, faithful with little, he'll make you faithful over much right now. I see that working out all the time. The Lord does that. I've learned a lot of lessons in life and a lot of the lessons I learned is in children's ministry. I'm just gonna be honest with you. Um, kids say the darndest things, right? They, they'll say these, they'll do these profound things and sometimes I'm just kind of shocked by what I see. And I've seen this progression in the life of a young lady that uh, it's, really, it's, it's really been amazing to see. There was this little girl years ago and if you don't know me, before I came here, we'd been here about five years. Before that, for 11 years, I was the headmaster of a classical Christian school. So I was over a program, preschool through 12th grade. We had about 150, 160 kids when I left. So I would see kids all the time and they'd do something good. They'd you know, get a sticker. They'd get to come and eat donuts with me. It was a lot of fun. And they would just say the wildest things. But one time there was this little girl who came, and this was about 11 years ago, So she's in my son Noah's grade. So she's about to graduate in May. She came to me as like a first grader. She said, Mr. Winslow, I heard you talking about the kids in Africa. And she said, and I've decided that I'm gonna give you my milk money every day. Okay, she had a quarter. I said, Kelly, I don't think that's a good idea. I think you need to keep your milk money. I just, you know, I'm not a bully or anything. And I was like, I can, I can probably spot you the quarter. Kelly's, Kelly's one of those kids though, even then where she got something in her mind, she's gonna do it. And she's like, I'm gonna leave it here, you know? So I called her mom. I said, I don't know if Kelly's talked to you. This, she was doing this every day for a while. She'd bring me these quarters. So I'm starting to get this pile of quarters. And I called M- Michelle. I said, Michelle, Kelly's wanting to give her money to these kids in Africa. And she just keeps bringing me her quarters every day. What do I do? And she goes, well, If she wants to give that, then let her give it. There's a water fountain in the hallway. That's great. And her parents had been missionaries to China for three years. They worked with crew. They just got it, you know. So I was like, okay, Kelly, here's a spot in my desk. Pretty soon there's a mound of coins in my desk of these quarters. She just brings me her milk money every day. It felt weird, but I went ahead and took that money every year and I would do something special 
with that money, I would just, t- well, she kept giving me her milk money every year. She'd bring me her milk money. And, um, and this kid really had a vision and a love for lost people. So, so sometimes we think, we think that it's gotta be like adults doing great things for the kingdom. But you know, those quarters were everything she had at the time. And God increased his favor upon Kelly. She comes to me when she's a sixth grader. And she says, Mr. Winslow, I've got this great idea. And I was like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, what's this gonna be? Kelly goes, well, we're doing, you know, we do this big art show for our school every year. At the end of the year, we'd have like a, a big science deal and then we'd also have an art deal. And she goes, what if I challenge all of my classmates to make art? And then on a Saturday, we sell the art and we give it to the kids in Africa. And I was like, well, Kelly, that's a good idea, but do you think anybody will come? You think, you think your, you know, your classmates, she's like, yeah, they're gonna get into it. And I was like, oh man, I don't know. Called her mom. Her mom said, well, if she wants to do it, let's do it. Well, she got so many pieces of artwork. This is a sixth grader who comes and does this for the first time. And Kelly that first, oh, she called it work of heart. She just had this vision as a sixth grader. People showed up from everywhere in town and she raised $2,400 as a sixth grader for the kids of BCA. We have a picture, Kelly. I think it's a year or two old. There's, there's Kelly at work of heart. Now she's a senior now. The next year, One of her teachers was diagnosed with cancer, so she did work of heart to sponsor that teacher. $7,300 is what Kelly raised to help that teacher. In 2019, as a ninth grader, Kelly raised $4,272 for Bethlehem Christian Academy. And here's what just thrilled my heart. Back in October, this beautiful kid, right? I, I don't talk to Kelly, I mean, I hadn't talked to Kelly in a couple years at least. I've just not been to West Plains. And I get this random text at night. And here's what it says. Hi, Mr. Winslow, it's Kelly Cobbin. I've been working and saving money and I'd like to sponsor a kid for a year and pay it all at one time. Do you think that's okay? I'm not telling Kelly Cobbin no. God, incrementally over time, increasing what he's entrusted to Kelly. Here's what's really cool. She called me not too long ago and she said, uh, this is going to be the first time. She said, I'm ready to go meet those kids. I've been sponsoring. Can I go with you guys in June? And I said, there will be room on that trip for Kelly Cobbin. What can God do with a heart like that? She's just all in. Everything she's ever had, she just said, I'm all in with it for the Lord. I cannot wait to see what the Lord does with this young lady who's gonna graduate in May. I can't wait to see what God is gonna do with those kids right up there in our balcony in just a few years. Conversely, those found unfaithful with his property will have it taken away and transferred to someone else. Now, it's important to note that the person who received one talent had the best of intentions. You know what good intentions get done, right? Nothing. Brad Young says here, he's got a book on the parables. Fear, quote, fear, in fact, guided the actions of this one talent servant 
who failed to grasp the essence of his master's character. His good intention, misled by a wrong understanding of his master, produced the opposite result. In the end, he was severely punished. The story here by Jesus illustrating his second coming is not a scare tactic. It's just reality. And we have to remember, God's purposes and plans will not be thwarted by disobedience. His will will be carried out and he'll find somebody else on the team who's in the game and he'll transfer those gifts to them to get done his kingdom purposes. The unfaithful steward was found to only be concerned about himself. He didn't take what he had been given and invest it so that the master would be pleased with him when he returned. At the end of the day, he was actually found to be faithless. D.A. Carson, a great Bible scholar, says of this section, quote, to fail to do good and use what God has entrusted to us to use is a grievous sin which issues not only in the loss of neglected resources, but in rejection by the master, banishment from his presence and tears and gnashing of teeth. In the end, there are two results for the faithless servant. One, what he had was taken away and given to the person with 10. And number two, he was cast, it says, cast that worthless servant into outer darkness in the place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's the two results. But the talent at the end of the day, and everybody can make application of this. This is the genius of Jesus. We can take it and make all these varied applications from one little parable. The talent is symbolic of varied application. It's really about an approach to life. And it's about being all in for Jesus and his mission to reach that lost and dying world. It's about having a heart like his, to be his faithful steward. It's about sacrifice. It's about getting lost in his mission. It's a mindset that every single thing we have belongs to Jesus. The talent can be applied as a broad principle that refers to all of the giftings that God gives us to leverage for his kingdom purposes. But let's not kid ourselves. Jesus used money for a reason. Money is easy to bury and not share. Money is a weird thing too because it's easy to rationalize the purchase of just about anything. I've done this in my life. It's a weird thing. I can even rationalize not sharing the gift of money because of what may happen in the future or what need I may have in the future. I just, there's so many ways with money to kind of get out of using it and to use it for things that I quote, need. You can say you're saving it for a rainy day that will actually never come. You can say that uh, you're just being a good steward, but money like any other gift It has to be kingdom leveraged, kingdom leveraged. And as we think about mission as a church and we look at all the different things that we're into and listen, when we take that GCO, that great commission money and we use it for mission, all of that money goes out to help our partners. So the more of that after our tithe that we can give as an offering to the Lord, the more we can bless our mission partners in foreign lands and and here as well locally to reach people with the gospel. Burying the money ensures that the money will be there later. It's not going anywhere. I can't lose it this way. Faith is a risk that requires me to use that talent and take the risk of getting hurt or losing some of it in a lost and broken world. If you use your gifts enough that God has entrusted you with, I'll tell you this, 
you will be taken advantage of. I guarantee it. So if, if you're not investing whatever the Lord has given to you because you're afraid of what might happen with it, I'm gonna tell you that's gonna happen with it. At some point, you'll get disappointed. At some point, it won't be used right. At some point, you will be taken advantage of. But if your excuse to not be generous with whatever God's given you, because it might be taken advantage of, when you read the New Testament, that is a poor excuse indeed. Jesus will say to that one who buried his talent, you wicked and slothful servant. Now, how many of you in the room, I'm just kind of interested, at some point, you've been taken advantage of or burned, right? If you've been in any kind of ministry, it's happened. You've gotten burned. But you cannot let your past sabotage being faithful in the future, and even right now. And let God deal with all that mess. At the end of the day, three people with three sets of shoes. Which shoes are you wearing this morning? I mean, if I was just to boil it down, just just to the, you know, the brass tacks, the very end, and I just said, okay, what do you walk away with? You and I self-evaluating and saying, which person am I this morning, Lord? Let me just be honest with myself. Is, is there more I can do to be on mission for the Lord? No excuses, just being straight up. Am I a kingdom prayer? Am I a kingdom giver? Am I a kingdom goer? Where does he need to tweak us and grow us? You know, back to that whole well story at the beginning. The thing that got me about that well story wasn't really being lowered into the well, although that's kind of a big deal. It was the attitude behind it. Jesus said to do this. I'm just gonna do it. No excuses. I'm just gonna do it. Not later. Not gonna put it off for a different time. Lower me into the well. There's no way in a room this big, in a church this large, where some of you today, not because of me, but because of the word of God, aren't feeling like a little tug to get more in the game. To be involved in great commission work, maybe you've been too busy, maybe you've just not been faithfully attending, whatever. But here in Canaan, we are trying to provide you as a staff as many on-ramps as possible to different ministries to be in missional activity to make sure that the gospel goes forth. We have all these varied partners because you guys have different gifts, right? And different abilities. And those are all great. We want to celebrate those. So where are those areas where the Lord can put you to work in your calling and to push back the gates of darkness? Some of you have buried your talent. You've buried your ability. You've been selfish with your time. You know, you've rationalized your disobedience, your money. I know I've done that a lot in the past. But God says today, he says, euthios, immediately. So we just have to answer, lower me down into the well. You know, some of you might even be afraid. Gospel sharing can be kind of a scary thing, but the Bible tells us in Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit came to empower the church to give us the power that we need to be obedient. I'm gonna end with a quick story. A friend of mine in West Plains years ago, it was probably 10 years ago, his name's Scott Heidi, good friend, Scott and Christy Heidi. 
Scott was in his kitchen and he looked out his back window and there were some guys working on the electric out in the backyard. And suddenly he saw a fireball and one of the guys got knocked to the ground. Half of his yard was on fire. Well, the one guy who was standing up was scared to death and he ran and was calling 911. Scott ran outside to see if he could help this guy. Scott didn't have the answers. He didn't know what to do. But he called his wife, Christy. Christy's a nurse. Puts Christy on speakerphone and says, I got a problem here. She says, check for the pulse, check for the heartbeat. See, see if this, and this guy's dead. Hands are all burnt. He's just laying there dead. And Christy, who's a calm, collected person anyway, she begins to walk Scott through what to do and to keep him from panicking, right? Scott gives this guy CPR and revives this guy and gives him life. Guy's late 20s, got three kids at home, saved his life, right? Well, Scott's a pretty bashful guy. He's just easygoing and quiet. He would have never told anybody, but the word got out. Hit the papers, right? Everybody was excited. He's a public school teacher. They, they made a big deal out of it. They had a big pep assembly they surprised him with. And Scott comes in, and Scott's kind of like this, you know. And they hand the mayor's there and hand Scott a key to the city. And everybody's like, speech, speech. And Scott's like, Christy's the real hero, right? You know, we don't have to be afraid. The Holy Spirit in those difficult times, has the answer. The Holy Spirit's the real hero. And here's the amazing thing, just like they did for Scott, right? On that last day when we're on the Bama seat, all our sins have been paid for and we're judged. It's only on the good that we've done. When in fact, he did it all. And he, and, and he, he gives us rewards and he gives us the key to the city. And we're going to stand there on that day and say, it was all really Jesus. He has the answers. Get involved. Richard Foster said this, when the poor receive the good news, when the captives are released, when the blind receive their sight, when the oppressed are liberated, who can withhold the shout of jubilee? Let's be a church on mission for the glory of of God. Please stand up. We're going to enter into a time of decision. Maybe you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus. Maybe you've been trying to be be a good person or, or do better, right? And please God that way. That's never going to work. God's holy. We're sinful. It'll never work. The only way that you can have a relationship with God is through the sacrifice that Christ provided in your place and a justification that he gave to you before God because of his resurrection. You've got to trust in him. And maybe today you need to make that decision. Pastor Daniel's going to be up here. Pastor Mike, you can come and talk to me. Maybe you don't have a church home and you, you need a church home where you can be on mission and be threaded in. And you just need to join and be a part of what God is doing here at Canaan. Maybe you need to follow in obedience and baptism. Listen, we're not going to lower you down into a well. It's easy here, but you need to be obedient. And maybe today is that day to make that public.
So come forward, come pray. This altar's open. It's not just for those decisions. This, this needs to be a praying church. If you wanna pray for our ministries here, if you wanna pray for the lost, this altar is open. You come and pray, now's your time.